0: Guys, thanks for listening to this episode. We really appreciate all of the support and staying alongside the audio to now visual component of Beans Without Boundaries Uh, going forward with the second season. We do have like a little bit of increase of cost, so we set up a little donation thing through Buy Me a Coffee. It's a little website that if you're willing to just splurge, there's an option for being able to just buy me a coffee. It also gives me a good idea if you really are enjoying our content and would like to help support and continue it. The link will be in the description underneath the YouTube video. It's also gonna be in the description for Apple Podcasts and um, Spotify Podcasts as well. Uh, Whichever platform uh, would be greatly appreciated to just continue following along the journey and whatever you're willing to just kind of help with feedback, whether it's comments on the videos or just going on social media. Um, And if you're feeling typically generous, It'd be great to just throw a coffee my way. Thanks for listening in and uh, until next time. So, welcome to the show. I will... I will also admit it's been a while since we've had an actual recording. So this will be like kind of like a first time rusting. i taking off the rust on my shoulders to kind of like conduct the interview. But I will say yeah. a lot of what we were talking about, we had an introductory phone call before we had the episode. And a lot of what you were saying, I think, would just be perfect to kind of implement as a beginning introduction to like who you are and like how you got here. So I would love the audience to be able to give an opportunity to hear more about like who you are and how you got to the point where you are in terms of creating a coffee brand. Sure.
1: Um, My name is Tanya Rao, and I um, am the founder of Cauvery Coffee Works. Um, We're based in Berkeley and I focus and specialize on showcasing coffee from India. Um, And my coffee story starts Back in India, I grew up in Bangalore, which is the coffee capital uh, of India, and my home state, Karnataka, grows 70% of the coffee that's grown in India. So I grew up in a coffee family, and my uh, we also had a um, family coffee business that was um, mostly <laughs> local to India, and it was... Um, wholesale trading and roasting of coffee. Um, so it was something that I grew up with. And then when I moved to the U.S. Um, for education and career, I kind of got disconnected from the world of coffee in general, but especially Indian coffee. Mm-hmm. Um And I used to joke with people when I when you know, when I told them that my family, um, my dad is a coffee roaster and um, many people were surprised that, you know, India has coffee. And I was like, we South Indians love our coffee that we consume it all. So that's why you don't see coffee of India. Um, I was not entirely correct. It actually exports 80% of its coffee grown, but for some reason it doesn't come to the U.S. Um, and so fast forward a couple of years ago, I was uh, looking to start my own business and um, I was working in a totally different space in outdoor education and adventure travel. Wow. Um, and I was looking to start my own business because uh, my it was a dream of mine that I had and my dad was my inspiration to sort of like be your own boss and, you know, pave your own path. Um, And I was working out of different coffee shops in the Bay area, trying to ideate research and come up with my business uh, plan and the, you know, smell and sounds of coffee just sort of made me nostalgic and took me back to, um, my days in India, um, in my dad's coffee business. Um, and I kind of got curious cause you know, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a greater focus on coffee origin mm-hmm. and showcasing different, um, coffees from these different origins. And I have just never seen Indian coffee on any of the menus in cafes around here. Um, so I got curious and started talking to some baristas, um, and many people didn't know that, you know, Indian, um, India grows coffee. And now I've kind of become familiar with that, that like mm-hmm. many people in the U.S. don't know about India as a coffee origin. Um, and those that have had Indian coffee didn't have a great experience with it. So that got me, you know, wondering, like, why is this the case? Um, I clearly knew, know that, you know, India grows coffee and right. it grows good coffee. So i wanted to somehow bring my uh knowledge and experience of indian coffee and weave you know my family's coffee story um you know in in as an opportunity to build community and share um this rich coffee history mm-hmm. from uh india so i found a niche kind of in the bay area of nobody really here, um, roasting or representing Indian coffee. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was something that was close to my heart. Um, something that, you know, even though I have no experience in the coffee industry prior to starting this business, it was something that was, um, felt familiar Mm -hmm. to me. Um, and I was like, you know, why not? Um, I'm already in the process of creating something new, um, something that I can call my own. Um, And um, so, yeah, I took the leap and started uh, Cauvery Coffee as a way to showcase Indian coffee, but also um, reconnect to my roots and my cultural heritage.
0: Yeah, it's like coming full circle with everything. It's like implementing everything from every aspect of your life into creating something that's a legacy for you. Yeah.
1: And when we think about, you know, doing meaningful work, um, you also have to think about what are the things that lend that meaning in your life. Um, and there's just, there's so many options, right? Like I actually had, um, a difficulty in choosing what I wanted to pursue because I had so many different
0: interests. I can relate Um, to this very much. So. Yeah. (laughs)
1: and in, in in that like decision matrix of your, like, uh, in your head, you're, you're trying to find that one thing that, you know, checks most of the boxes because right. not everything is going to check all the boxes. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I found even though I had no kind of knowledge, experience skills in the coffee industry, it checked so many of those, um, more, like, emotional right, and, and you know, psychological fulfillment-like right. boxes um, than some of the other ideas I was pursuing.
0: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, a lot of what we all as, like, humans want to do is be able to be on some type of spiritually and emotionally fulfilling path and giving back. I think a lot of mm-hmm. what we're here to do on this planet has to do with serving and helping community and other people so it's like i think a lot of especially the older people get it's like how much of that can be fulfilled in something i have the capacity to create
1: yeah and what i found in working in the coffee industry is really like coffee is such a kind of universal Mm -hmm. love and language um that you meet people from Different backgrounds, yeah. different cultures, different interests—you know, personalities—and um, it really is, you know, something that brings a wide, wide audience yeah. together. Um,
0: it's like one that's of, pretty powerful. I think besides music, I think coffee is like one of the most non-verbal community-building um, spaces that can be kind of like brought to so many different communities, and it's so classless, in my opinion. I think that like like obviously hierarchy exists mm-hmm. um, in a capitalist environment, but I think a lot of the time it it spans from all varieties of life that kind of participate in coffee and, and the enjoyment of what it brings. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you figure out the name for what you wanted to create?
1: Yeah, so my family had... Um, my grandfather was the one who actually started the coffee uh, business in my family. And the business he started was called India Coffee Works. Um, And my dad joined the business when he was a teenager. And when my grandfather retired, he brought on another partner and Mm -hmm. changed it to new India Coffee Works. And so I wanted to keep to the similar theme of the name. um, But not use the word India, you know, cause I'm like, what other iteration can I have of, right. of the, the the name? Um, and I did want to have a name that uh, kind of referenced and spoke to the origin. Um, Kaveri is the name of a river in South India. Um, that's considered a sacred river and it's uh, sort of like a lifeline, kind of like the Colorado river. Wow. Um, that's so cool. And it, you know, spans a lot of different, mm-hmm. um, communities and like, a lot of like c- big cities and stuff. Um, so it's a huge, you know, resource, um, and where it originates is uh, a big coffee growing region as well. Um, so it had kind of links to the land and to, you know, coffee in particular, but, uh, also for me, it was again, that create, you know, connection to my homeland, yeah. my, um, culture and so the other aspect of the name and business is um, with sustainability and kind of you know being conscious of your ecological footprint mm-hmm. um, and the river um, it's because it's it's a, a huge resource and um, has to kind of cater to a lot of different uh communities and their needs um there's a lot of like challenges right with the with claims for the water right with you know the environmental impact uh, on the river um and its uh, ability to provide for the people that you know it's right. supposed to provide for so in a way it was kind of a reminder of our own Ecological footprint and Mm -hmm. by honoring the land that where we grow and what we like rely on is um, just a, a way for us as consumers to be mindful and conscious about the decisions we make.
0: I love every aspect of how interconnected you've been able to create, like your shop, where it's like it has so much of your essence down from like the roots of your heritage to a lot of what you're trying to stand for. And it, it makes me interested in, like, knowing – I will say I'm very ignorant on also not knowing much about Indian coffee. So, like, I definitely want to kind of, like, pick your brain about, like, Indian coffee specifically. Is it is it Arabica or is it Robusta? Like, what mostly kind of comes from the region?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm – I'm a treasure trove of information, and it is my pleasure to share (laughs) all of this information with everyone. Um, So uh, currently, India uh, grows both Arabica and Robusta. And um, Robusta production, I think, outweighs um, Arabica. And don't quote me on these numbers, Mm -hmm. but I think it's more of like 70% Robusta and 30% Arabica. Mm -hmm. But there are certain regions, so um, the traditional or the original coffee growing regions are these three states in the southern part of uh, India. Um, Karnataka is one of them, and that is my home state. That's the one that grows 70% of the coffee grown in India. And then the two neighboring states are called Tamil Nadu and Kerala. And they grow about you know the twenty percent. And then uh, the remaining ten percent now is grown on like the eastern and northeastern side of India. But in Karnataka, um, the largest percentage of Arabica coffee farms are, you know located in Karnataka. And the place where um coffee was first, planted or grown and the legend I mean the story of how coffee was um, brought to India there's also like a lot of legend and and you know like we we love telling stories Mm -hmm. so um, there's a lot of like myth and mystery wrapped around it Um, and the story goes that a Sufi saint who lived in the foothills of uh, mountain range in Karnataka went to Mecca for his pilgrimage and there discovered you know uh, the coffee houses um, in the port of Mm Mocha and just fell in love with the beverage coffee and smuggled seven beans in his beard on his (laughs) way back to India (laughs) and planted these seeds on the mountains, uh, slopes of India. And the place where he planted it uh, is named after him, his uh, the saint's name is Baba Budan and Baba Budan Giri is the name of the mountain range where um, coffee was first planted. Wow. So that region is still now primarily um, Arabica um, growing region. Um, it's both mixed Arabica and Robusta, mm-hmm. but you'll see a larger concentration of Arabica farms, farms in that region.
0: I love the hiding the the cherries, beans in the beard. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And there's this whole like
1: reference to uh, the seven seeds and seven being um, sort of a like uh, something to do with, you know, a, a spiritual number um, mm-hmm. in, in the Muslim religion. So he wasn't, because uh, at that time there was, the export of coffee was controlled by the arabs and it was a crime to you know take coffee beans or seeds out mm-hmm. of the region um so because the number 7 was sacred in the religion you know he wasn't um kind of penalized or taxed um, for for his smuggling <laughs> story uh, as as uh, has been repeated several times but you know i don't i don't know the uh, kind of origins of it
0: i think that every growing region has some type of folk stories or folklore towards the Mm -hmm. origins the origins of the coffee bean i think everyone can tell a different story and i love that it's just like it's always so whimsical too it's always like a whimsical story so outlandish
1: And and that's the fun part, right? Like, and even now when coffee is shared or when brands are trying to create their own um, unique uh, offering or, or you know, unique presentation, it's it's all of wrapping everything into a story mm-hmm. is what
0: makes it fun and approachable um, to others. I mean, what we're doing is also storytelling. It's just exactly it's your story, yeah. you know. So everything is, it always comes back to it. Coffee brings back stories. Coffee brings people together to do storytelling. It's like Mm -hmm. a fuel.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. In so many ways.
0: So in the Bay Area, I think we had talked about on the phone also that you were trying to do something women, like it had to do with a women's group. Was I mistaken on something like that? Oh, so, um...
1: I don't know if it's in the Bay area, but, um, or what we talked about. Um, so obviously like women focused and, you know, gender equity is, mm-hmm. is a huge part of my whole ethos too. just because of who I am. I've always been in, um, in professions where, uh, I've been in the minority, yeah. whether it's because of, gender, race, ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always kind of like, you know, holding that loudspeaker and talking about these issues because, you know, it's fun to talk about and it's personal and, right. and it, you know, needs to be talked about. Right. Um So even in India, the coffee industry is largely male dominated, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to um, coffee producers and ownership of land right uh it's a very patriarchal hierarchy system um where in the past you know it was just the the sons that would take over and the daughters get married away and they go to the you know their new married family and then they're you know, that family's problem. Um, That's how it has been, (laughs) exactly. That's how it has been largely seen over centuries, but things are changing now. And, um, but in general, like all of the coffee farms in India are, uh, many of them are multi-generation farms. So it's um, been, you know, the land has been passed on from generation to generation. um, And you'll see like, A lot of the farms are either fifth generation, fourth or third generation farmers. And most of the times it is, again, managed uh, or, you know, controlled by the male um, person in the the family. So I wanted to seek out more women in the coffee industry, both in the U.S. but also in India. Right. Um, And just over the last few years of trying to connect to the coffee community there, I've managed to connect with different women owned or women managed farms. Um, so this year, one of my projects that I kind of embarked on was being able to um, try and do a direct trade or direct buy mm-hmm. from farms in India and, um, most of the importers here in the U S they bring uh, coffee from India in, in larger lots. Um, and it was hard for me to find, um, coffee that of different varieties or, you know, where there's a little bit greater transparency. Um,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and so I went and tried to do that on my own. Um, and I was able to, um, through different, you know, partners and resources, I was able to purchase um, five, coffee from five different farms um, that for all, I think for most of them, it'll be their first um, entry into the U.S. market. Wow. Um, and they are, four of them are women owned and one is like mostly it's a family owned but man you know the person I'm interacting with is a woman and she's kind of like the um uh, import export manager Mm -hmm. so very like you know women strong um, working with within the coffee industry in India Um, and so that has been a really fun and um, exciting kind of exploration to go on.
0: How was the process of finding them? Was it an easy navigation or did it take uh, like finagling, trying to like go down a little bit further down that rabbit hole? uh,
1: It's a bit of both. I would say for me, my experience has been fairly easy. Um, I wouldn't know if that would be the same for somebody else. Um, So first couple of people I contacted um, through Instagram and then a few others exactly yeah and and then a few others um through you know kind of like through the in through the coffee network um vine um it i think it has been helpful a little bit for me especially knowing the indian landscape yeah. and knowing the culture um i it's easier for me to um, approach and talk to people um being from bangalore Like most of the coffee farms um, in Karnataka are within like five to six hours drive from Bangalore. So Bangalore Mm -hmm. is the biggest like capital um, or big city. And so many people have, have like, you know, lived in or have family that live in Bangalore. Right. Um, And there's always there's always a Bangalore connection there. So uh, which is always fun. (laughs) Um, So just I think knowing a little bit more about the landscape and the history and culture, um, some relationships have been uh, feasible just from my family's history in in coffee, um, even though So my father passed away 12 years ago and my connection to the coffee world and the coffee business, uh, was lost at that point. But I do still remember people and, um, places, you know, from, from his coffee days from when I was in India. And so trying to like reconnect to those people and places, um, I was able to do when I went to India last year, um, And in many ways, you know, it's just one thing leads to another. Somebody makes a recommendation. um, And um, yeah, and it was it it did take some um, active, like proactive, you know, effort on my part. But Mm -hmm. uh, once I was on that path, um, things seemed to kind of like work out fairly, fairly smoothly. That's good. And in many ways, uh, I mean, when I was starting off um, the business, I was trying to think what aspect of coffee I wanted to get into um, because there's just so many different places along the supply chain. Yeah, exactly. And I thought about import-export because, again, like I – Because in the very beginning, I even considered buying back our um, family's business, um, which we had sold to my dad's partner, you know, after he passed away. Um, But it was so local to India that, you know, I wouldn't be able to conduct the business um, from here. But I was like, since we have that connection, maybe I could do import-export. But the whole, uh, it seems like such a daunting process, you know, the process of importing coffee into the U S like with all the different logistical, um, steps along the way, Mm -hmm. it was too foreign and too daunting for me to pursue that. Right. Um, and so I went with what the, the business model that, you know, my family had in India, which was just buying coffee from the producers and then just roasting it and you know reselling it and so I stuck with the I'm going to be a coffee roaster mm-hmm. aspect of things so this year I got a little taste of the whole import export um process and I mean I will say like you do need the middle people you do not need those you know logistic um people in the whole process that know how to Get through, you know, export and import customs, get all the paperwork in order, you know, figure out shipping logistics and then figure out where to store the coffee, how to store the coffee. I mean, those are all pretty kind of detailed aspects, Mm -hmm. which, you know, are part of the whole supply chain. Um, And so this idea of doing direct trade, um, I think is idealized a little bit, especially from a marketing perspective perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the pursuit of doing that, the I fully respect and appreciate all the people in the middle right. that have to, you know, fulfill that role of getting the coffee from the farm to a warehouse where a roaster can access them. Um, so, deep appreciation for all, all all of those processes and the people who do those processes.
0: So have you had a chance to visit any of the farms that you've been able to source from?
1: Yep. Um, so last year I, I went to India um, to visit family, but also to visit some farms. Mm-hmm. Um, and currently I'm sourcing coffee from a couple importers, um, here in the Bay area. And I was able to visit one of the farms that I'm currently sourcing coffee from. It's, it's one of my like baseline signature offerings that I've right. had from the beginning. Um, and so my importer, um, put me in touch with, the producers in India and I was able to go and do uh, like a farm stay
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: there so that was really cool I went in the middle of July which is the uh, middle of monsoon season so not the best time to visit Oof. a farm <laughs> yeah I almost wasn't sure I would be able to go to the farms because um, the week I arrived and I was you know visiting a week later Uh, There were heavy rains that was, you know, causing mudslides and just wiping out access to a lot of places. Um, But I was lucky enough to go visit. I'm like, I'll come back during the harvest season. But since I'm here, you know, I might as well go check it out. Um, And then I visited another farm, a a contact that I made through Instagram. um, And that was the relationship where we were both like, you know, she hadn't she does import export into the UK and Europe, but hadn't yet um, kind of gotten into the U S market. And we're like, let's, let's figure this out and see if we can make it happen. Um, So, you know, it was, um, I, I'm surprised that a year later and I I was able to figure out um, together with a few other um, producers, how to get coffee from these farms to the US. I'm. I'm still. The coffee is on the water, like it's on the ship. Uh, it hasn't reached here yet, but every step of the way, I'm like,
0: I can't believe this is happening. Right. This is so cool. It's coming full
1: circle. Yeah. all that hard work. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So
0: it's it's really
1: like interesting, right? Like when people, you know, um, enjoy their coffee, it's uh, they see the last mile of the the whole journey of what it takes from the coffee to get from farm to their cup. Um, and it's been, it's been really cool for me to sort of like understand and dive into mm-hmm. to the full process and, and journey of coffee. From I every- still haven't, I would still like to go to a visit a farm during the harvest season and right. see the actual processing. Um, Cause these are all things that I've read about, seen videos about, but to actually see it happen in person, I think would be pretty cool.
0: Yeah. How have you been received since opening up your shop and, like, being very, like, representative of your heritage and a lot of Indian coffee? How has Um, that been for you? It's
1: been great. Um, I started in 2019, late 2019, and initially it was mostly friends and family. Um, And then, of course, you know, pandemic hit and... (sighs) it was hard for me to get out and into the community. right? Uh, but just before the pandemic hit, I had um, a three week stint at a local farmer's market. And while I will claim that, and, and still stick to the fact that I'm not, I don't have any barista skills and it's still an area that I find daunting. <laughs> But it was super fun to be able to share my coffee with people Mm -hmm. and tell the story. Yeah. Uh, And people are just so fascinated, one, to be exposed to a coffee origin that they're not very familiar with. Um, Then on top of it, to uh, hear the the story of my connection to coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really fun it was exhausting kind of running my own uh, coffee booth uh, with, with, you know, ha- with whoever could, was available to help. I just pulled in to help. Um, and then since then I've done more um, planned events and pop-ups um, but th- I, I definitely enjoy uh, those moments when I'm able to interact with um, people directly mm-hmm. and share the coffee. Uh, and many a times people are surprised to know that, you know, Not only the history and my connection to coffee, but I'm also the one roasting it and, Mm -hmm. you know, presenting the coffee and selecting and doing all of those uh, processes. Because, again, you don't see too many um, South Asian women in coffee here in the U.S.
0: That's amazing, though. I I can imagine like the entire experience of that being really gratifying and like. I mean, that's that's what you kind of like were, this is what I wanted to do. So it kind of having that in front of you and seeing people's reactions face front and being like, I've done so much to get here. And then like, look, look yeah, at these people yeah. and they're like appreciating a lot of what you're doing without even having to like realize all of the hard stuff you did to get there. It's got to be right, amazing. Right. yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, in the pandemic, when everything was shut down and people were at home initially... I kind of was completely overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. um, as was everybody in in 2020. And it was just sort of like, let's survive this year. Right. Right. And at the other end, in 21, I slowly started to reconnect and be engaged with the community. um, And I found a huge amount of support in the local community um both in terms of other businesses but also mm-hmm. people wanting to support lo- small yeah. local businesses um and um so yeah that was really uh it was it was a fuel you know that kept kept me going right. um even through like uptimes. times and I've also developed in my own confidence my own, brand story in, in how to share my story. Cause at first you're, you're just like, okay, I'm regurgitating this one paragraph over and over again. It's getting even to me.
0: (laughs) It's like almost a prompter in your brain. That's like, okay, read this line, this line.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and trying to find creative mediums of sharing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I feel like I'm way more comfortable in person but then when it comes to online and social media, um, it's definitely way more intimidating. Right. Um, and and as a small business solo entrepreneur, you're trying to build skills in so many different ways, right. in so many different aspects of the business. It's hard to focus or you have to pick what you can focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I obviously like I focused on the roasting and, you know, being able to, um, produce a good product and share that with people. Um, and I leaned on other people for help. Um, my first kind of freelance hire was for social media. Cause I'm like, this is a st- this is something I am not good at and right. I don't
0: necessarily want
1: to learn. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, it, spend the time to learn this.
0: It doesn't help that it's like constantly changing and evolving. It's like once you get down oh, and then it absolutely. changes and then you feel like you can never kind of keep up with it. So it's like, I can understand yeah. that a hundred percent.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's great that people, um, have a passion and, um, enjoy, you know, social media kind of storytelling. And I'm just like, great. I'm going to get you on my team because I'm not that person. Right. What has been your, so, yeah. And and even, um, through, through that medium, trying to share my story and, and trying to find meaningful ways to connect with people. Right. Um, cause it's not just, a one-sided conversation Mm -hmm. it's two-sided and um as you said earlier like coffee is about serving serving your community um and kind of building a community that uh, interacts with each other in a way that that everyone benefits
0: right has interacting with importing and a lot of the process to importing Indian coffee been an easy process. I know that you were, you're obviously a very strong woman and you were vocal about it being a very patriarchal male driven, like male centric kind of like trade. So I was wondering if there was any kind of like difficulties you've run into or if it's just been.
1: The biggest difficulty is that there's just such few options um i feel like i've pretty much contacted every importer that imports coffee from india and gotten samples from them mm-hmm. and most of the coffee that comes into the u.s um are from large commercial farms and they're grouped um either by region or by a process uh, processing method right um, and there's just three different, you know, big groups. Um, There's Monsoon Malabar, which is a monsooning process. Coffee processing is unique to India. And so anything that any Indian coffee outside of India, like that's popular is usually everybody would have heard of Monsoon Malabar. Um, That's kind of like what Indian coffee is known for. Um, But it's a very specific Flavor profile and a very specific process, and has uh, primarily like limited um, use in terms of brewing. It's good for espresso, and some people enjoy it as you know drip or French press, but it has limited versatility. Um, and then there's uh, Mysore Nuggets Extra Bold, which is uh, a, a category kind of based on region and also based on quality. Um, And outside of these two, and, and, you know, uh, India is well known for its Robusta too. We have very high quality Robusta Mm -hmm. as well. So these are the three main kind of categories of Indian coffee that's available. But when it comes to um, farm level traceability or, you know, even different processing methods, there's very few options. Um, There's just one or two coffee producers, uh, coffee importers that bring in, um, and have that level of traceability. Right. And, and that's what I was looking for. You know, mm-hmm. I was looking for more fully traceable or, you know, coffee with good traceability, um, that I can showcase and, and, and present in the same way that other coffee origins and coffee brands are presenting, you know, right. coffee from different parts of the world. Um, So my biggest challenge was just having options. And um, beyond that, I, in the first iteration of just getting samples, that wasn't a problem. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, most people were pretty uh, responsive. um, And then even here in the Bay Area, I got some good um, response and uh, kind of conversation with uh, importers that, either want to bring in more traceable coffee or already do bring in and want to promote that more. Um, But it takes time because when you are completely new to the coffee industry, um, people don't necessarily know whether they can trust you or take you seriously. Um, And as a small roaster, you know, you're ordering I was ordering one, two bags to start off with. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's more of a, like people wouldn't necessarily go out of their way to answer my questions or to, you know, kind of, uh, cater to my needs. And, uh, and that's understandable, especially, you know, when you're an importer working in larger volumes. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I feel like you, you have a system in place, um, and sometimes a newcomer is always not necessarily the person who's going to get most of your attention. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't be that way, but you know, it's not surprising that it is. Um, so I would say in the over time, uh, once I built my own knowledge and confidence and credibility, um, I was able to uh, connect more with different importers. Um, And I definitely connected with some importers who are like, yeah, I can't believe nobody knows about Indian coffee. It's so great, you know, to see you do what you're doing. Um, And they want to also support the um, same mission of promoting Indian coffee Mm -hmm. and talking more about the regions and the processing methods available.
0: What has been your favorite part of the process?
1: Um I've really enjoyed the roasting aspect of things. Really? Um I'm I'm a foodie to begin with. i mean, and my first foray into entrepreneurship was uh in grad school. Um as a side business, I started teaching Indian cooking classes. Um it started off as a birthday gift to a friend and she's like, you should do this uh, as, as a business, you know, people would pay for, you know, cooking lessons. So I've always been interested in uh, food and science and smells and taste. Right. And so when I first um, had my first coffee roasting uh, lesson, it was, it was just kind of like, whoa, this is so cool. You can influence the flavor of coffee through the process of roasting right. uh in in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still don't I still feel like there's so much to learn and I'm constantly learning. Um so that has been my favorite part is um understanding how coffee flavor changes um in the process of roasting. Right. And then also trying to figure out what it is you know because it's 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 a craft right it's Mm -hmm. like like an artist you know you could be painting with the same colors but come up with a totally different picture right um and so that aspect of um coffee science is super fascinating
0: there's so many variables that are easily manipulated when roasting that like mm-hmm. even subtleties will change the flavor profile automatically and it's it is really yeah. fun cuz you can change only one variable and consistently roast it the same all around and it'll still have different results each time
1: right right yeah and then when i discovered you know how you could do that same whole process with brewing Mm -hmm. that blew my mind as well but i'm like okay oh, i don't have time to indulge in (laughs) learning (laughs) and experimenting with brewing um so that that i do on a kind of more um at at leisure than Mm -hmm. as as part of my business um but as part of my business i really enjoy um being able to pick different coffees, um, you know, and I started off with, okay, I'm going to offer three different coffees from three different farms, roasted, you know, slightly different, uh, profiles. Right. Um, and now I, I think I have eight coffees on my menu and we'll soon be bringing more on. That's awesome. Um, and I'm like, kind am my. Why am I adding so much complication, you know, to my offerings? But it's like it's it's so fun.
0: It's and also like, so well, good. Like if you're getting things good things. coffees, yeah, you're just like, oh my god, people need to try this. It makes sense to me why you keep adding. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you were talking yeah. about how a lot of what, like earlier on, about gender equity and like sustainability. Since this is a, a woman-driven podcast and talking a lot about gender equity and a a lot of just women's stories within their coffee journey. I would love to hear more about what you want to do in terms of like your mission with gender equity.
1: Yeah. um, On the, you know, origin side, I definitely want to be intentional about the people I work with and try to support, um, Women producers, um, women importers, exporters, you know, basically like try to empower um, and pursue relationships with other women in coffee at origin um, in in whatever capacity makes sense. Right. For um, as a simply as a coffee roaster, my direct um, link would be to a coffee producer uh-huh. um but the coffee industry in india is is thriving and changing and constantly you know kind of uh, innovating um itself and so i want to stay connected to um the coffee culture at origin um and interact and collaborate with as many women in coffee as possible. How and then are... here in the US, um it's it's almost like I don't really need to make an effort. As a woman in coffee, I naturally just gravitate to other women in coffee. Yeah. Um and just in having that common um, kind of common passion and intention mm-hmm. um, I feel like I get involved in stuff um, so um, so yeah just being able to show up and represent and um, share with other coffee entrepreneurs um, in this space is, mm-hmm. is, is something that I want to continue doing
0: have you had any um, interactions or experiences where it made you feel like there's something a little bit off in terms of, like, being in such a male-predominant industry? Um,
1: I wouldn't say so. I mean, it's, I'm acutely aware of the fact that there's way more men and male coffee professionals, right. um, even at, you know, in, in every aspect, right? Like with coffee brands, um, at a farmer's market or, um, at, I roasted a community roastery. Um, there's just in terms of numbers, there's just definitely more of male, um, brands or male coffee professionals than female. Um, so that's, that's definitely like something that, you know, it's, it's like an elephant in the room, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's there. Um, but it hasn't necessarily led to a, um, bad experience for me. Um, I sometimes feel totally like an outsider, like an imposter. Um, and that has, I don't think it's necessarily a gender-based feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the fact that I haven't had much experience in the coffee industry itself makes me feel like an outsider and imposter. But um, so far, every time I've, you know, had any questions or wanted to um, learn something, I've I've been, um, it has been a very kind of friendly and open environment for me.
0: That's great. That's like what we want to hear. That's like mm-hmm. the overall goal, right? Is that everyone feels welcomed into the community and everyone has a more positive and progressive experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, I think it also helps um, in terms of my personality. I'm a little bit more outgoing and um, feel comfortable. I'm used to being... Um, in the minority and often don't feel too intimidated by it. I mean, there's definitely been cases where I've been uncomfortable or feel like I don't belong, Um, but I sort of, I'm also a little bit, um, I don't mind kind of going in and being in a place where I'm like, Hey, I don't, I don't have the answers, but I'm willing to learn, you know, like right. uh, being a little, um, being less intimidated by, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but <clears throat> I guess I, I feel comfortable in uncomfortable situations.
0: <laughs> I like that a lot. I feel like I can rel- relate to that too. Um, And I don't know if that's just because I grew up as a minority. We're kind of like automatically put in a position where we have to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations out of Mm -hmm. like necessities. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think a (laughs) a lot of it is just like, it wasn't even our choice. We kind of got placed Mm -hmm. onto that just because of the fact that we're all different and we come from different cultures, especially people who aren't even born and raised here. Um, Yeah. So it's like, I think, especially women and people of color, collectively have such a stronger willpower to to try and like be innovative and be kind of like pioneers for what they're trying to create because it's just we're not going to back down. We're kind of like this is our voice. This is what we're trying to stand up for. This is what we're trying to share. I think it's beautiful trying to share something that is so interpersonal with like your family and your story and like creating it into something that's so public. And so um it is an experience and it's like – the people who interact with you and the products that you give, you're also sharing that interpersonal story. So it's just, it, it is such an intimate and vulnerable thing that you're making.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely.
0: So it makes me happy to know that like, nothing's essentially going to like make you uncomfortable and intimidated because you're, it's like, I'm here and this is what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. And it's all part of the learning process. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm, Always comfortable doing something new, right? It's right. always going to be um, challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I worked um, in experiential education, we used to have this activity where um, it's called the circles of comfort, um, and so you test what people comfort zones are comfort levels um and so you've got you know the inner circle being you know your safest most comfortable zone and then the next circle being the challenge or learning zone and then the outer circle being the panic zone and um most of the time you know you want to put yourself into that middle circle right that's where you're being challenged, but mm-hmm. you're also learning. Right. Um, you stay too long in the comfort zone, and there's going to be no growth. Right. And the panic zone—no, nobody wants to be there. Yeah. So it's it's sort of like figuring out, you know, when you get too comfortable, then you know you stopped learning, you stopped growing, and so you try to take a step towards that learning zone um, and challenge yourself, and, and it could be challenge in something that you want to learn to do or, um, in, in a social setting. Um, and so, yeah, I've always felt, um, myself, like I'm, I'm always l- leading myself into that, that challenge zone, mm-hmm. um, over and over again, just cause I thrive on, learning i thrive on kind of pushing my limits right um, and that that
0: helps me that's also like an inner like fire competitive spirit of like how much am i truly capable of that Mm -hmm. it's like you're trying to prove it to yourself and not to other people that it's like
1: yeah yeah absolutely and i know like when i've been in a comfort zone for too long i'm just like I'm bored.
0: Yeah, I can relate to this. <laughs> it's like I need some time of stimulation. Nothing's happening here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about no one wants to be in that panic zone, I kept thinking about like the people who have had to like stay in this like survivalist mindset mm-hmm. where there's different avenues of their life kind of being attacked in a way, whether it's in different ways that can be represented. Um, But I think overall, everybody needs some type of challenge in their life to really make any kind of huge differences for themselves and the people around them. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of that also kind of like plays into risks and what's worth kind of like stepping out of that comfort zone, taking that leap versus like, Mm -hmm. okay, do you take this risk? And then you're falling into that lake of panic. (laughs) (laughs)
1: right yeah and I think it also um your experience in the past Mm -hmm. informs you know what you're right uh willing to do what challenges you're willing to take what is your comfort zone and um yes as a a a woman of color in the U.S. there are people that have had all sorts of different experiences yeah and it's hard to kind of have this Uh, blanket approach of like, you know, always having to challenge yourself. Right. Um, In many ways, I feel like that is, speaks to a little bit of privilege in my own upbringing or my own past experience where I haven't felt truly threatened or truly been in a situation where um, I was in the panic zone right for survival or Mm. for you know my own mental well-being and so it's i think it is helpful to have uh more women role models yes um in in situ in, in, in especially for situations when um People have had really tough circumstances right. or experiences in the past, and hey, it feels even too scary to be in the challenge zone right. uh, into the learning zone. And you know, they're always you're always kind of circling, gravitating towards comfort, safety, mm-hmm. and security. Um, so I myself like will look to other. Women in business uh, and particularly women of color, um, yeah, whether it's you know, in the coffee industry or beyond, um, because for me, it's a it's a measure of what is possible. And I think um, the more we have that, the the better it is for the world and for future generations.
0: I think representation in general is really important, but I really liked what you said about like needing women and people of color and specifically both of those all together um, to kind of like create almost, I like this word that I've been using recently. I've been using the word sisterhood. I feel like that Mm -hmm. there's such a strength in women in the community that we create and like queer women also. And it's just something that's so magical and empowering and, it's like, it's good to to have multitudes of different kinds of women representation. Like every, not every woman has to have a tragic trauma story. And in my opinion, like I, mm-hmm. I really just genuinely would prefer women to not have trauma stories. But yeah, I think absolutely. that yeah. each each person needs some type of representation so that it does show that like endless amount of possibilities are shown. That no mm-hmm. matter where you come from, what you've experienced, what challenges have been placed before you, there are women in that like, middle that all have kind of like congealed and come together to create and be in forms inspirational towards each other. And I love when I get to meet people on the show who come and they tell me these things and then it's just reinforcing a lot of these same philosophies that we all kind of like have.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think women um, in general have a tendency to sort of uh, for growth through collaboration growth through relationship building um like we naturally gravitate towards that Mm -hmm. um versus you know kind of more individualistic or um solitary um experiences right
0: yeah i think um just touching on the fact that this applies to both of us being people of color like coming from a culture that's very segregated in terms of women and men community and like social aspects. It's like, I'm very much ingrained in understanding that women have a very sacred bond. That's kind of like nonverbal also.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, um, in my upbringing and culture, you know, there's just also like predefined roles that yes. women, um, are prescribed to. And it's, it's almost, if you want to do something different or um, kind of go against the grain, Mm -hmm. you're considered um, an outsider or um, you're considered um, a rebellion. Um, And in many ways I've embraced that Yeah. Rebellion as a positive (laughs) thing for myself (laughs) and have constantly, you know, in my own life, challenged those social norms and expectations and in pursuing something that I want to do Mm -hmm. and in doing so have heard and met, you know, more people who do the same or want to do the same and are afraid to or, um, you know, just yeah, just don't think it's possible. But um, it's anything is possible right. if you you know put your mind to it, and if you believe in it, you know. Right. Um, but uh, it, it is. It is kind of very difficult to kind of swim against uh, swim upstream. Right. <laughs> is, is, going against go the current, against the masses. Yeah. Mm. Um, right.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, that all comes down to, like, uh, what is that phrase? It's like you're leading how you want to live your life so that other people can kind of, like, see that there is a possibility. So it goes down back to the whole spectrum of possibilities and living Mm -hmm. in those zones of comfort versus challenge that kind of just exist in in working and existing as women. (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely. And even in the in the coffee industry, I've definitely, you know, seen the shift and the change um and obviously it's because we're also seeking that. Right. You hear more of it, you come across more um, women-owned coffee brands. Right. I follow different like female baristas or Same. you know, roasters and um and you just want to be part of that community because you yeah you want to see it grow um and help get because that's the only way it'll change you know in in, for future generations Mm -hmm. is by coming together and collectively um making an effort to change the status quo right right yeah, I mean, like. Oh. So for me, I find it very inspiring to see. Like, I see a lot of women in the coffee pr- profession, but mm-hmm. that's what I'm seeking. Right. It's also. It's also there, and it's it's to be you know celebrated. Right. It should be talked about, and um. I think it's it's great that that um, representation is growing.
0: Right. I don't know why I just all of a sudden... There's a d- lot of work to be done. But, I mean, I don't <laughs> think it'll ever stop. You know, like, I think in general we've been kind of fighting for right, right. this, like, need to be on the same pedestal for decades and decades, so... Yeah. It'll, it'll be something that I think is just going to constantly just get stronger. I think the voice will always be there and it'll get stronger. But it's funny because you were saying that and I instantly thought of the Barbie movie... <laughs> I know that's, like, really not related, but it's kind of related. It's a lot about, like, being against and, like, for women and, and like, understanding the problematic stuff that exists in society with patriarchy. But that is besides the point. (laughs) But that's a great movie. It's a great movie of basically kind of reinforcing essentially what we're trying to say overall. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, like, I would love to know, based off of everything that you've learned so far, and... um, do you happen to have like a little hot take of controversy that you feel like something in the industry or something you've experienced in the industry that's either overrated or seems like it's not legitimized or it's something that just is kind of unnecessary that's happened. I always do this with, I'm, I'm starting this new thing called like hot takes, like little like sizzling hot takes. Yeah. yeah, the no,
1: industry. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> so, for me, it's definitely around the the idea of um, what, how to prescribe value to coffee, right? Like how, not prescribe, uh, 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 like how to how does one say one coffee is better than the other, you know, kind of like the, Mm -hmm. and and it goes back to coffee origins. Um, I feel there is definitely a elitism around certain coffee origins Mm -hmm. um, with relation to, uh, you know, taste and quality. Yeah. Um, And it, it feels very um, unfair to other coffee origins, right? Like right. It's coffee from different places tastes differently. Coffee from the same place tastes differently. Right. And so to have um, a kind of comparison chart or even an um people are allowed personal opinions, but, um, on, on a more industry-wide right. to have these, these concepts of, oh, these origins produce better quality right. coffee, um, is something I have, <laughs> I take issue with, yeah. you know, that, that for me is like, um, yeah, it's a topic that I get super kind of sensitive about
0: or uh, yeah. feels like, I think Um, I I definitely think that like every person who's worked in the coffee industry especially in the specialty coffee industry have all either by clients or by people that also work in the industry have had opinions or questions where there's like oh what's the what's your favorite coffee like what's your what's the best region like I hate that question also mm -hmm. because it's like well what are you looking for when you're experiencing coffee. Every region is going to give you a different experience. That doesn't mean one is better than the other. And like yeah. it's been told so many times on this show, the the myths and the fanciful logistics of quality and what that represents mm-hmm. and like how that strips a lot of that human experience that comes from the actual, the tree, the bean. And it's like at the end of yeah. the day, I don't think there's ever an answer for that question.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and when I came into the you know specialty coffee world, there's definitely there's definitely like two languages that mm-hmm. are spoken, right? There's the language of um, the more from a scientific perspective, right. uh, how quality is measured, and you know, I'm totally understand like it's good to have a universal language that we can compare and contrast um, different aspects of of. Uh, yeah qual uh like coffee like
0: and science
1: um, yeah exactly and then so so there's that world of like the the coffee greek you know mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The, the, the the elitist club and then there's the language that consumers the people who drink the coffee who enjoy right. the coffee they speak a totally different language yeah. um and it's it's yeah it's more like street language and it's more Oh. It has different uh it, you know, it has different dialects and like and so that but to me that is the language that is um way more beautiful and way more relevant um when wanting to sell my coffee. Um versus I I like the nerdy stuff um <laughs> and I like learning about it. Um but it's, it's more of a, a knowledge base right. than a um you know conversational kind yeah. of like or 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 the absolute truth right? right that that is not kind of um what I would and and I'm learning this as I go along it's like you've got to almost switch your brain when talking the coffee Greek to talking the you know street uh coffee, uh, street talk. Right. Um, and, and and finding that connection between the two is like, how do you want to um, present your coffee to the audience with this knowledge as the foundation, but translating it to yeah. the street talk um, that they understand? And I think um, sometimes many people, forget to translate and, you know, then it becomes this, um, yeah, it becomes lost in translation. Mm -hmm.
0: I feel like a lot of the time coffee can become very much lost in translation. And I think it can also be lost in in intention. Yeah. So I think like all of it altogether kind of just ties to it, but very, very great way of describing the language. like it, that It's code switching essentially from yeah. that Greek elitist kind of like a lot of the, the terminology goes in and out of my ear. I'm like I have no idea what's being said mm-hmm. but it's really fascinating. Yeah, we do need this for the innovation of coffee and preserving coffee and, and understanding a lot more of on a chemical and compound level what it provides and what it's capable of doing mm-hmm. and how it transforms in different things. But it also like for most of the everyday enjoyment and routine that is coffee it is at the end of the day exactly what me and you are doing which is a conversation so overall like it all needs to be tied there needs to be two different um sides weighing in together and kind of like there needs to be a middle language that kind of is able to transcend and um basically pour out all that information so that they're all valid
1: Possibly. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's always like the hardest part because I'm I'm not the best like with the science stuff. I find it really interesting and I want to learn more about yeah. it, but it's intimidating also and that's also like projected onto most consumers that are taking coffee how much people can geek out on and nerd on the right. kind of like greek side of coffee language. And it gives
1: this impression that there's a right and wrong way of doing things. It's not entirely true.
0: Right. The right way is your way, whatever that is. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that, too. The right way is whatever your way is in terms of how do you enjoy the coffee experience, really. And I also think if you can get people on a basis level to enjoy the coffee experience, that they'll... Essentially, be inspired by whatever the product is to learn more about that other side, anyways. So it's just a train effect. It's like a cycle at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and it's about, yeah, just sh- sh- coffee is kind of like more of a medium for, mm-hmm. I think, for. Bigger things to happen, and you know, it's it's whether it is for people to get together to um, share a meal or share a conversation right. or you know, to challenge um, so like social status quos or, or you know, yeah, I mean, change it's change the equity, the, you know, there, there's like it could be a small or a big impact, um, and it really is the vehicle and the medium to do so, um, and so while it's all like, yeah, it is super interesting, and there's there's a whole world that um, world and profession of coffee science. Um, it's it's I think also helpful to be able to communicate in a way that people understand and not mm-hmm. you know just feel limited by the, the science aspect of things.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree with everything, literally. I feel like that's the goal, that we're all kind of in agreement and understanding of what we're trying to create at the end of the day, and I think it just comes down to just having that conversation first and bring a lot of awareness, which is a lot of what this podcast is trying to do. Um, yeah, But I will say, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. Like it's been great, like hearing your story, like hearing your perspective. Thank you so much for having me. It was amazing to like sit and talk and like definitely debate more. I definitely spoke a lot more on this episode, but it was fun to debate and like have a a real conversation going forth about so many different avenues in the industry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on the show and for even just doing this podcast. It's a <laughs> wonderful idea.
0: Thank you. Was there anything else you wanted to leave off? You can always plug things into. I always like advise people to just like take advantage self-promote. Yeah.
1: Well, if for all those who haven't tried Indian coffee, um I am happy to share a wide variety of coffee from India and Um, yeah check out my website I do have a lot of like origin information as well and in India we have our own brewing method uh, which is like a percolation drip brewer and a coffee beverage made with this um, drip brewer so there's you know a lot of like different cultural elements that I love to share about Indian coffee um, that doesn't just have to do with where the coffee is grown so right um, i love sharing that stuff so most of the stuff can be um
0: seen on my instagram page or my website awesome well i really appreciate your time and like talking i know we've been chatting for a bit thank you so much for having me well i will release you and I hope you have a great All rest right. of your day. And thank you so much for talking. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I think my favorite part was like her saying this, the, the language like having that language barrier she was talking about, about the elitist Greek versus the uh, the slang or whatever was it? Yeah, it was street language. And I was just like, yeah, that's a perfect way to really distinguish between like, or like other people on the show have said, like coffee bro logic, sort of like this kind of like almost sense of like pretentiousness that comes from data, data analytics in coffee world is really intimidating. It doesn't matter what science is, science is intimidating, especially to people who are kind of like traversing coffee in general this is all new territory and people don't understand how deep this can go like there's so much science and data analysis on the coffee on chemical reactions to the brain on what caffeine provides what it all is entailing what manipulation to the ground level and like learning all about that versus a lot of the time people just on a consumer more street basis talk about coffee and the enjoyment, what kind of beverages they like. And it's just, I love the the kind of like what I implemented as code switching. Like all of it just needs to intermingle. I think that it, it's important to have both sides. Not one is better than the other. Not one should be without the other. There was so many facets to this episode that it, it all seemed so well-rounded. It was a very well-rounded conversation having with her from her story to what she wants to really focus on and then I loved this like little psychological segment of comfort zones and like what she brought into that because in reality that can be applied to so many different aspects of life and I think that understanding what comfort zones are and then challenges and then that level of panic I think that it's just such a good way to also use that when it comes to problem solving to risk taking to just conversational aspects also there's just so many there was just a lot of good things being said this episode i feel very much like a lot has been shun of light on